Good morning. It is really great to be with you this morning. And I want to assure you that I have been watching the weather report and trying to make sure that I factored in the heat index and the temperature and the humidity in the sanctuary along with the length of the sermon. So don't hesitate to fan or drink water or whatever it is you need to do to be comfortable. As we begin, please join me in prayer. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. St. Luke has been reading and studying the story by Lucado and I believe it's Frazé, is that correct? It's about God's relationship with his people, about his great love for us and the amazing lengths that God will go to to reach his people. Look at it this way for a second. How many of you have ever been responsible for a child that wandered off in a store? How many of you? Can I see hands? Okay. I mean, you might have just stopped to check which watermelon was the ripest, and you looked around, and all of a sudden Susie was no longer beside you. How did you feel? Scared? Bad, terrified, little mad or angry that they wandered off. Kind of a sinking feeling at the pit of your stomach. What would you do to find them? How far would you go? Would you do just about anything? Yes. You know, there are children who have lost their way for a time or a long while, who've gone in the wrong direction, who lost their vision for who they are and what's next, and they've lost their care for one another. God has lost children, too. Any idea of who those children might be? can't hear you. Us, exactly. That's exactly right. They are us. And God searches for us. God has initiated and is carrying out a huge search and rescue mission. And he's telling us of that mission in his story. The part of the story that we know from the Old Testament is phase one. God entrusted the Hebrew people with a message of worldwide hope, and he equipped them with the tools of the law and the temple. God used the patriarchs, the mothers and the fathers of the faith, the prophets and the kings, mm, some good, some not so good, trials and teachers to show that God desired his children to come home. Phase two is Jesus. Jesus says to us, you are lost, and I know the way back. 
Through Jesus, God showed us love in a way that we could see and understand. A love so great that Jesus not only modeled the way for us to live and interact with one another, but he took our sins upon himself and he paid the ultimate sacrifice with his life on the cross for us. He paid for our sins once and for all. A love proven beyond a doubt in Jesus' death and resurrection. Pastor Jeb reminded us that we have the opportunity in that hope of Jesus' death and resurrection given to us freely, no charge. The promise of the resurrection takes our fears and transforms them into the hope in which we look forward to God's future. So now comes today and phase three, the part of God's story that's the third part of the search and rescue mission of God. So I'm reading from the story on page 390 to 392 in the story, or if you'd like to follow me along in your pew Bibles, in Acts chapter 2, 1 through 21, and then keep your finger in that spot because later on we're going to verses 42 to 47. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language. Parthenians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? And then we go on with a sermon from Peter. He stands and addresses the gathered crowds. He reminds them of the prophecy of Joel, and he tells them of Jesus and declares that Jesus has won the victory over death for us. He tells of the resurrection, and he boldly proclaims 
that Jesus is both Lord and the Messiah. Really dramatic stuff in Acts 2. Would make a great action movie. Because you've got rushing, violent wind and tongues of fire appearing and then resting on everybody. Other languages were suddenly spoken and they were heard and understood. There were large numbers added to the community of faith. Not to mention good old Peter, who had sliced off the guard's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he denied Jesus three times. Now he has the courage to speak to the crowds and to speak boldly. In these verses, there are several miracles. We have the wind and the fire and the apostles filled with the Holy Spirit, the speaking in other languages, the bewildered multitude of people understanding it. We have the reversal of the Tower of Babel, 3,000 converts in one day, and Peter's public speaking. What a day. I happen to think, though, that there's an overlooked miracle in Acts 2, one that is critical to Pentecost and Phase 3, and that is a new awareness of the power of the Holy Spirit and the beginning of the church. Between Jesus' ascension and the establishment of God's kingdom forever, Jesus has given his people a task to be his witnesses to the nations. Look very quickly in Acts 1, verse 8. It pretty clearly lets us know what's going to happen and tells us what our mission is. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. When the fireworks were over, on Pentecost Day, the people didn't scatter and go home to the same old thing. They didn't head for lunch, satisfied that they had checked at least one duty off their weekly to-do list. Think about it for a few minutes. They became a new people, a new family, a committed band of disciples. They were first converted by the Holy Spirit and then called by that same spirit into a functioning community called the church, set apart for the purpose of the gospel. Jesus knew that his people were a fearful and hesitant, scared, excuse-making bunch, and that they would need help when he was no longer with them. At the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell upon all of the believers gathered together, filled them and remained with them, empowering them for the mission that Jesus had given them.
My friends, we need to listen closely to the story of Pentecost and the early church because it's much more than history. It's a story about us. It's about you and me, each of us, individually and collectively, God's people entrusted with his mission. I admit that it's a daunting task. In fact, downright overwhelming. Impossible, maybe. But typical of God. When we're given a task or a mission, we're also helped to achieve it. We have not only the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, but in verses 42 to 47, we have an outline for what the church looks like. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and their goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were saved. They devoted themselves. A community both then and now is built on shared values and goals. Look at those verses again. Teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. These verses describe the basic characteristics of Christian life together in every age. They were devoted to teaching for the benefit of the future and present generations. The task of the teacher was to take the community of faith who'd witnessed the power of the Holy Spirit, to root them soundly in Jesus' teachings, to help them understand what that experience meant, and where the church was to go next and what it was to do. And then there's fellowship. It's a deeper meaning than we first think. It's the church's ability to live out the command to love one another. In Acts, this fellowship implies the kind of love that the Father showed in sending Jesus and the kind of love that Jesus showed in giving his very life. The diverse group of early believers grew closer 
as they experience those shared beliefs and goals and responsibility for the mission of the community, all centered around their belief in Jesus Christ. One of the primary ways to practice community-mindedness for the new believers and for us is breaking bread together. We're going to do that in just a few minutes. Early history tells us that eating together has long functioned as more than just easing hunger pangs. It was a place where solitude and insecurity and loneliness were soothed. Jesus himself provided a model of witnessing through eating and drinking with folks. Many of his important messages came at the table, and he broke bread with all types of people, the rich and the poor, the sanctimonious and the sinful. He was often criticized for his mealtime companions, who were often not the pillars of society. Yet in the new faith community, which was a collection of different people, different cultures, different customs, they found that, like verse 46 says, they could celebrate their meals together with glad and generous hearts. Prayer and worship is the fourth characteristic of Christian life together. Jewish tradition had a daily ritual of devotion, so the idea of praying and worshiping together as a community was not new to them. While much of their lives and faith was new, the idea of prayer and praise individually and collectively as a worshiping community and publicly in their regular trips to the temple were not. Their conversations with God brought joy and praise. In our world of technology, the emphasis on individuality and what we label the scarcity of time, it may be difficult to understand the nature and the necessity of the Spirit's calling us into community as we fulfill our mission. Worship, fellowship, the work of reflecting God's kingdom into the world flow into and out of one another in the church. One of the current leading New Testament scholars is a Dr. N.T. Wright, who was the Bishop of Durham, England in the Church of England of Durham in the Church of England until 2010. He's a brilliant man, a scholar, and a prolific writer and teacher. He says of the church, and I quote, The body of Christ is more than merely an image of unity in diversity. It's a way of saying that the church is called to do the work of Christ, to be the means of his action in the world, to be the means of implementing his work, of making his achievement real in the world. 
Wright goes on to say that through the church, God will announce to the wider world that he is indeed wise and loving and a just creator. That through Jesus he has defeated the powers that corrupt and enslave it. And that by his spirit he is at work to heal and renew it. The church exists for what we sometimes call mission. To announce to the world that Jesus is Lord. When the good news is announced... When the story is told, it transforms lives and people and societies. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Powerful stuff. Called to do the work of Christ, to implement his work in the world, to be sent by Jesus to tell that he is Lord, you and I, the church, entrusted with this God-given task. You and I, part of the story, and called to help write that story. Wow. May it be so. Amen. Stand with me. Let's sing He Lives.
are interested in knowing more about St. Luke or enjoining or enjoining this community of faith, I would be glad to talk to you right after the service. And remember that we have a wonderful lunch prepared for us that's waiting in the fellowship hall. It's prepared by the mission committee. I know that they have plenty of food and that everyone is welcome. Let's take a moment and bow in prayer for the food that we will share together. Father God, we know indeed that fellowship and breaking of bread together is one of the characteristics of your wonderful church. And so, Father, we pray that you bless this time that we will share together, that you bless the hands that have prepared the food And that, Lord, that as it nourishes our body, we are so grateful for your word that nourishes our souls. In your name we pray. Amen. As you leave this place, know that God loves you.